Well, welcome to Flighty Thoughts, meaningful conversation over a flight of beer. I'm your co-host, David. And your other co-host, Bevel, informally is here. <laughs> Formerly, informally, we are glad you're here, glad you're listening. We are coming from Vino's Brew Pub. It's a long stalwart of the Little Rock downtown area. Great pizza, great beer, and I've never been here before. Have you been here? Yeah, m- many times. I actually came first for the beer and then discovered they had, no, no, for the pizza and discovered they had beer, which I want to get it out of the way because we have been here for a little while drinking and eating and having a merry time. And so my favorite beer, am I pronouncing this right? The Dunkel... Dunkelweiss. The Dunkelweiss. The, the W sounds like a V, right? See, it, it's a German beer. So it's so bad beer. with German. It's okay. Yeah. That was it's, my favorite, by the way. It's like a good winter beer. So if you're here, try it out. The Dunkelweiss is very good. They also have a really good, I don't know what kind of beer it is, but it's called Razorback. It's kind of it's kind of a darker beer. With it's the red, a, right? Yeah, I think that might be it. I like the IPA. What did you think of it? The IPA was good. The pale ale, I thought, lacked a little bit of body. Yeah. yeah. I usually don't like IPAs, or at least I'm, my, my palate is expanding, and so I like their IPA. It's really good. you got to tell me what you thought about their cream ale, because that was my favorite, your response to that. Do you remember? I'm not a big, cr- like, creams and blondes I have to be in a certain mood for. Yeah. And usually it's summertime, I guess, or if I'm done cutting grass. So. But what did you say about it? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. I would drink it if... It was lightly flavored water, I think that's what you referred to it. <laughs> that being said, the pizza and the calzone here are top-notch, and the beer, the IPA, and the brown is very good as well. But, I mean, without honesty, what are we? Now I feel guilty. I'm like I'm clowning on Vino's for uh, their, okay. their cream. But what we're really here for, what we're excited about, is to talk to the, the Reverend Dr. Michelle Morris. Or is it the Dr. Reverend Michelle Morris? No, I prefer Reverend Doctor. Uh, for me, I always tell folks that the Reverend comes first. So both of those were driven out of my call. Um, and so for me, I just want to make sure that we keep that that spiritual side uh, in the lead and and make sure that that is where the focus is. So Awesome. Well, we're really glad you're here, and we're excited to hear about what's coming up in this new project that you're working on. Yeah. I hear you got a book coming out in a couple of weeks, and uh, tell me about, uh, what is it? It's the Gospel Discipleship, yes? Yes. Uh-huh. Gospel Discipleship. It is two books. One book is the Participant Guide, and the other book is the... Um, is the congregation guide. And we'll talk a little bit about why there's two of those in a minute. But um, it was driven out of my work for the Arkansas Conference on helping churches understand why we need intentional discipleship systems, which basically we had gotten a little, um, we sort of taken for granted that the church would always be at the center of culture. And so we'd kind of forgotten to, to be intentional about talking about what discipleship is and how we live that out. I mean, we talked in general terms, but... Yeah, so when you say intentional, you mean getting away from the whole, like, like this is where our focus is. This is not something that just comes with regular worship, or right. regular, we're going to go to church on Sunday, but making that effort. Is that... Right, right. And growing, continuing to grow, right? If you just stick to one pattern, your, your faith is going to sort of start spinning. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be intentional about um, making the next step and growing closer to Christ. And so, um, so anyway, I was working with churches on that and there are a number of resources that are out there available on intentional discipleship. And what I was struggling with was the fact that, uh, I could see that, that X resource would, would work really well in this context, but it wouldn't work well in this other context. And, and so, uh, nobody seemed to be taking into account, uh, figuring out who the people were and where they were serving and, and how that in turn shapes their discipleship. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, I think, 
puts, I mean, we're in places to do work there and that work's going to look different depending on the place and the people that are there. So, um, so I was sort of struggling with how to take that contextual piece into account um, because you still needed a way to talk about it broadly, right? There was a tension there. And so I was actually teaching a, a Bible study, an online Bible study on the last words Jesus speaks in each of the Gospels. And each of those, I figured that those words were probably pretty important to discipleship, right? Like, right. they are the last words, <laughs> right? right? Whatever Jesus says, I'm getting ready to go, but here's what I need you to do, <laughs> right? And so, um, so we, uh, so I, that's why we were looking at that is to learn what we needed to do in our discipleship. And I was actually, it was the day I was teaching John was the last one. And um, I got in my car, and you're going to learn in a minute here that <laughs> somebody, somebody's killing it on Tetris uh, over there in the background. Nice. nice. Go ahead. Um, so that's that's festive. I'm a child of the '80s, right? That's right. We need to have we need to have that. That that was that's the they have soundtrack. Ms. Pac-Man over there too. We should play later. <laughs> right. That's the soundtrack of my childhood. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so you were yeah. teaching the online Bible yes, study. Yes, yes. And and I got in my car. Um, we, it was the day I was teaching John. Got in my car. And got about a mile from my house. I live about an hour away from Little Rock. And heard a, heard a voice say, this is how you scale intentional discipleship. Pay attention. Mm. And I started taking notes on my phone. And I know I should have pulled over, but I didn't. <laughs> um, instead, rolled the dice and um, got all the way to Little Rock. And by the time I, I walked in, I, I said to my supervisor at the time, I said, I know how to do an intentional discipleship. Mm. And basically what had been revealed to me is that each of those endings points to a particular path or understanding of discipleship, which really makes sense, right? I mean, we have four gospels for a reason um, they we could have had one in some ways that would have made made it a lot easier we wouldn't have had questions about well why does this gospel say this and this right. gospel says this but they do tell basically the same story just in different ways and I think what that means is that it reaches the diversity of humanity mm -hmm. right it reaches all of us and um, and in turn also it takes into account that people are going to understand and live discipleship differently. So there's a gospel that speaks to that way of living discipleship. Um, or or they're inclined to live this way because of who they are. Right? Mm -hmm. So um, so that's how I kind of came to the, the understanding. And the, the two books, the participant guide has the, has the, there's an assessment you can take that determines what type that you are. And the participant book has that. It will also, there, there will be an online option for taking that um, test as well. And then the congregation guide, the participant guide then talks about each of the four types. The congregation guide then talks about if you take it as a, as a small group or take it as a congregation, you're going to have a dominant type. And so I encourage churches always to lean into that dominant type because if they're, if you're the Lucan church in town, there's, um, I guarantee you a Matthean church and a Johannine church and a Markan church in town. Um, let those folks live into those identities. You lean into yours, but then the congregation guide will also talk about. So if you're a Lucan church, you've got Markans, you've got Matheans and you've got Johannines also. What role do they play in, in your, um, in your congregation. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you to tell us about the four types, but I like I like how you say when you know your type and you lean into it, and it and I love this basis of just knowing who you are and right. not and not being, 
anything like Oscar Wilde said, you know, don't don't be someone else. Everybody else is taken. Be who you are. Right. So right. This helps you to be who it is. So tell us about the four types. Okay. So um, so I always start with Mark, even though Mark's not the first of the Gospels, but it was probably the first Gospel written. Okay. And since all of Mark also appears in Matthew and Luke, in order to understand what's distinctive about Mark, mm-hmm. um, I always start there, and then we expand on to Matthew and Luke. So Mark ends with. Um, Jesus saying, you're going to grab up snakes, you're going to drink poison, you're going to cast out demons, you're going to heal folks. That's scary. (laughs) (laughs) Demon, demon. (laughs) Right? More so the snakes, I think, for me. Uh, Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, Actually, I have a a good Mark and friend, and we talk about when we we do some snake handling. Um, I'm Mark and also. Um, (laughs) I'm feeling the venom coming down my veins. (laughs) Wait, is is snake handling, is that like code for like SPR meetings Uh, or anything like that? Yes, yes, um, very much. So um, not necessarily literal snakes at all times, right? Um, so so anyway, um, because it is that very unbound, very uh, empowered space, uh, I say Markans are Holy Spirit-driven disciples, which is interesting because in the gospel, gospel of Mark, the Holy Spirit only appears like three times, and it's just kind of in reference to things. Um, and, but um, Jesus sort of behaves like the Holy Spirit in, in the Gospel of Mark. He's a little bit more unbound, a little, I, I describe him in the book as being slightly unhinged. Uh-huh. Um, he curses the fig tree when it's not the season for figs, right? Like, let's yeah. be reasonable here. No, no, the Spirit's not necessarily always reasonable. Um, and But the other thing is that Mark itself is a very Spirit-driven Gospel. It is very much this battle of, of the Spirits, the good, good side and the bad side. Um, are definitely at work there. And, and Mark is so centered on miracles, so centered on that kind of unbound, um, miraculous space. Very little teaching mm-hmm. in the Gospel of Mark really is those kind of miraculous moments. Immediately shows up all the time in the Gospel of Mark, and, and Markans tend to be people that are, they get a word from the Holy Spirit and let's go, wow. right? We're not going to wait around for it. Um, Markins also tend to have what I affectionately term spiritual ADD. We can't stay focused on any one thing for too long, um, but partially because the Spirit's moving moving us around and then it's just the, the reality of us being those immediately people, right? Does that mean that, that- Markins have a tendency to start something and then never finish it. Yeah, sometimes, or sometimes we come back to it later, right? Uh, there's, there's all these sandwich stories in the Gospel of Mark where um, Jesus is walking, like like heading out to to heal the daughter of Jairus, or is it the daughter of son? I can't remember. He or Jairus's child, we'll say. You had me on sandwich. <laughs> right? There you go. Um, so going to heal Jairus's child, the woman grabs his um, hem, the hemorrhaging yeah. woman, and, and they has stops and has that moment. And then we come back to the healing of Jairus's child in there. And those kinds of stories show up over and over and over in Mark. And so it is very much this popping back and forth between um, moments. Reminds me of like since we already talked about Tetris, it's like the yeah. uh, old Atari game Pong. You're just like bomb, bomb, right, bom, right, bom, right. Bom, 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 yeah, bom, okay. exactly. And and I, I mentioned that I'm marking. For me, it tends to show up in my spiritual practices. I tend to not be able to hold with any of those. I'll get really excited about one. Like I was a few months ago, I was really into centering prayer and was doing that every morning, and that lasted for I don't know about a month. And then I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm moving on now. And now I'm reading the chapter of the Bible every night, and that'll hold for a little while. And then I don't know, I'll move on to art or something. <laughs> I love how you, you can plan what your next spiritual discipline is going to be through all this. Well, you know, it's been great to have permission to recognize that that's how I'm cut, 
right? Um, to give myself that freedom to say, I am not failing as a disciple because I can't stick with one spiritual practice. Ah, see, I like this, this failing, this failing, which can oftentimes equate to shame, which right. makes us feel not worthy, but you're taking that away because you're knowing who exactly or where you come from. Which exactly. Side of it. Yeah. Exactly. So what's the thing that, uh, keeps Markins connected to the community? That's a good question. Um, what keeps Markins connected to the community is the spirit. Um, if uh, a Markin who feels the presence of the spirit um, will stay in a community as long as they feel like the spirit means for them to be there. If the spirit disappears uh, from, a, from a community, a Markin will react in one of two ways. Either I say fight against the devil to bring the spirit back or will leave. Um, Markins, I think, are the, the most likely of the types to just suddenly leave a, a congregation. And congregations shouldn't necessarily feel bad about that because sometimes we are just really are called somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And we know and we have a sense that it's time for us to move, um, move on and go to another place. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I, I frequently tell folks I'm a, a Mark and Johannine serving in a largely Luke and Matthean denomination. And um, so my call now, I totally understand, is to do leap, leap, deep leadership development, which we'll see on the Johannine side, and then to get churches to experiment and try new things and do some innovative work. Um, but I also know because of my spiritual ADD, I'm probably not going to stay present for very long in that space. I'm going to move after two to three years, which is fine because the Lucans and Matheans are going to be tired of me by that point and need to catch their breath. Um, but, you know, to, to just be able to name that reality and then not feel like because so, so many times our goal is you want to you want to be successful and stay in a place for seven or ten years wouldn't that be great well that's great for some types but for me i'd go insane yeah. so is there a counterbalance type for the markins or one that's different from it? i mean they're all different and they all have places where they're related like for instance i'd like to look at um markins and lucans sometimes um but that we're kind of getting ahead let me yeah. let me let me explain Keep going. Keep going. Keep <laughs> or, yeah let me explain the types and then we can do some Let's of that listen to lucan because i'm i think i'm one of those right are you uh -huh. what's david because hey, david and i took yeah, tests yeah you're both lucan um, but i'm gonna go with ian's first <laughs> make him wait about. make him wait all right <laughs> so um Matthew's, matthew ends with the great commission um jesus says go make disciples baptize teach uh, that reads like a to-do list, and it is a series of actions. And so um, Matheans tend to be action-driven disciples. They want to see their faith put into action. Uh, they are hands at the plow, uh, hands and feet of Christ folks. They believe um, faith without works is dead. Um, they, they really want to be doing something with their faith. Um, so, so these are the folks that are, that are constantly coming up with stuff to do. And, and they will go nuts if there's not something going on at all times. Um, I so have a question. Yeah. Silly and serious. Because <laughs> at the end of that is, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right. Do Mathians usually check out and are already doing something by the time Jesus says that? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I hear that and I'm like, oh, community. Okay. Yeah, right, Jesus right, <laughs> right. Um, I think in terms of that, the Matheans would just conceive of that as Jesus being alongside them while they're doing their mission. Mm. Right? Like, okay, good. We're going to keep moving and Jesus will be alongside us for all of that. And they really do feel that, that presence of Christ. They see, they see Christ in the actions, in, the, in that, that physical transformation of spaces and of people's lives. 
Now, I remember at one point you told me that there are a lot of missionaries who are Mithian, right? Because that's that go out and do kind of action. And I like what you're saying about Jesus is with them, because I mm-hmm. think one of the things we always try as missionaries is, uh, even though I'm Lucan, but is is to go out and and go alongside what God is doing out in there and what right. it's about of it. So, right. But you, you have that focus, type A, like let's, math, Matthew sounds type A to me in this Mathian thing. It's like, go out, do, 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 do. <laughs> right. To some extent, I think that's probably true. But um, but yeah, um, and that's the thing. All of discipleship are going to share pieces. I mean, everybody's got pieces of, of all of this. Um, and and so there is a little bit of crossover. For instance, we're going to see that both Matheans and Johannans really highly value teaching. Um, but Matheans value teaching. It's a lot of times the difference is in the motivation, okay. right? Matheans value teaching because they're being instructed on the next thing to do. They're going to they're gonna take that teaching and put it into action. Johannans, you'll see, value teaching just for the formative piece of it, just for who it turns them into. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, so there's a lot of relations um, to each other. Um, but, again, the motivation is slightly different on, on why they do that. So, anyway, Matheans are our over-volunteers. They, they absolutely cannot stand for something to go undone. Um, they won't wait very long for somebody else to volunteer. Markins will wait. And because they're waiting to see who is called into that space and who has the gift of the Holy Spirit to do it. And if nobody does, then Markins will say, well, then that that ministry is dead. No one's called into it. It's time to retire it. Matheans will hold on to something for forever just because it's something that they do, which means that Matheans tend to stack things to do um, to the point of exhaustion. Um, And that's why, again, we need different types of disciples because Markins can call that out and say, hey, um, no, don't just do it to do it. Let's do it if there's a purpose, if there's if the spirit's behind it, right? I like how you can put words into that because I think in so many things we we keep trying to shovel in resources and right. time and money on something that just needs to say, you know, this this was a season and it was a good season. Right but now, let's move on, right, and go from that exactly. And 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 it's helpful to be able to. That's been the one of the most amazing things about doing this work is I can't I. I can get results back on a church and go in and tell them what they're struggling with, Mm -hmm. um, having never met them, um, because it is it is kind of predictable to the type that they are. Has it been your experience that say these aha moments with these congregations when you go in and you say, "Okay, this is what this is what you are and this is how it's going. And they're like, oh, yes. You're putting a, you're putting words into what it is. We never knew what it was. Right. Ah. Like for instance, I now that you know Markins and Matheans, I um, I have a church that's tied. They are tied, Markin and Matheans. Mm. And um, so I walked in the door, shared with them that they were tied, and 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 I said, boy, you all probably move really quickly. You you have a lot of energy around things that you do, especially. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, hey, y'all fight all the time? And they were like, yes. And I said, let me tell you what, let me tell you what y'all are fighting about, right? <laughs> Which I was able to do because having come up with this system, I now realize that that my best ministry partner was a layperson who was Mathian, and I'm Markin. And so I would come up with crazy ideas, and she would make them happen and um, even we threw uh, reverse trick-or-treating where we we baked goods um, and then went knocked on people's doors on Halloween um, and and gave them treats instead of uh, them giving us treats and it was a chance for us to meet our neighbors Um, that's a great idea it's like 
Treat or treat or trick? What, what are you? <laughs> I don't think you're stinking treats here. Uh, well, we did have some arguments with people. They were like, no, we, we you know, uh, well, I'll go get you some candy. And we're like, no, we're not here for candy. We're here to give you something. And it really confused people. Um, but um, but it was so much fun. But I literally came up with that. Did you things in there? Like, here's some dish soap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. right. But see, that's a great example of evangelism and going yes. outside the doors. Of yes. That. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's the one night of the year when people actually open their doors right mm-hmm. um and so uh anyway but i came up with that idea on october 30th and we made it happen by october 31st so we were we were great at that at that speed of ministry um but we also fought all the time because i felt like i came up with the idea i should have some say in how that was executed even though i wasn't going to do the execution she was going to do the execution and she was like no no i'm doing the work and i'm going to decide how this happens and so we we had this back and forth and and with that church i was able to name several things that yeah. they were going to fight about um i love it it's like you have the idea the spirit has led you it's wonderful now get out of my way so I could do it. Right, right. And one, one, one of the other um, conflicts between Markins and Matheans is um, whether there needs to be a system in place or not. Markins do not care about systems. Um, in fact, Markins smash hierarchies. Like they, they are contrary. They do not believe in hierarchies, believe they should be taken down. Um, whereas Matheans um, love a good system. They love a good system, a to-do list, a plan, all of that. And so there's some tension there. Um, Markins are like, the Spirit will guide us, and we'll figure it out as we go along. And Matheans are like, nuh-uh. <laughs> I find it interesting how you say they work well together because it just seems like clashes at every corner. It does. I mean, all, all of us will have those places where we clash and those places where we, where we re- resonate. Mm-hmm. I think understanding that those are going to happen in advance um, really helps us. So I want to talk about Lucans because I have a really good Mark and Lucan example for that. Let's go. Um, so Lucans are, um, uh, so G- we go into Acts for the end of, of Luke because Luke and Acts are written by the same person and the ascension actually happens in Acts. So uh, we go there and you hear that Jesus says, um, start here in Jerusalem, basically with the people that you know. Um, go out to Judea and Samaria, the people you kind of know. And then go to the ends of the earth, the people you don't know yet. And people tend to go out in Luke and Acts in pairs. Uh, and they tend to um, go somewhere, get to know the people, and then introduce Jesus. So Lucans are relational disciples. They're going to base everything around love of God and love of neighbor. They're going to really, I call them the potluck people because they love to have those gather around a meal and just visit. Like the church I pastor had Sunday. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, Real quick, what's your, what's your one potluck? thing you have to have at every potluck yeah or anybody if it's not if it's not there it's not a potluck Mm, i don't know i feel like different generations would answer that differently (laughs) we brought gumbo and the thing i was most excited to try it was soup sunday but uh someone made some cornbread that had cheese and like some kind of like jalapeno heat to it it was really good so it's like i need to have this every time now make sure you tell me when the next potluck you're going to is for me it's like fried chicken i, I don't eat fried chicken normally but i will eat it at potluck and i'll eat a lot of it <laughs> we're very matthew and so or Matthean, so the fourth sunday of every month <laughs> there we go. Well, right. that that can be a Lucan thing too. Lucans get very attached to those relational spaces, and and to some extent, the predictability of it. I mean, Matheans need order, and they love an order of worship. But but um, Lucans love predictability and knowing who they're going to see and when they're going to see them. And and so a, a defined potluck. This is again that motivation question. What's your motivation for having that defined day? Right, is to make sure everybody knows and can make it. Oh, 
uh, lucans, communication is huge, huge. Um, and it's why lucans sometimes don't um, change very quickly. People uh, sometimes, uh, I'm marking, I tend to sometimes go, dudes, we got to get moving. Um, and, and get really frustrated by the speed at which lucans want to move, which is not fast. But I've come to understand that the reason that they don't change quickly is because they're working to consensus. Mm-hmm. They, it's, very, it's so important to them that everybody's on board that they want to have a lot of conversation around something. I went to uh, one of the churches I was working with is Lucan, and they have a Matthean Johannine pastor. Very interesting um, challenge. Um, helped immensely once they were able to name that and see because um, I went, I was going to present to their admin council. They had one issue to discuss before I before I started talking, and that was whether they should proceed with the conversation with the Chamber of Commerce to let the Chamber of Commerce perhaps move into their building. Okay? It's just vote to start the negotiations. An hour and a half later, right? It was a half hour. Half hour. Good gracious. <laughs> and, and... But the things that they discussed were so Lucan because they were so hospitality-based. They were like, well, if we have the chamber here, then we need to make sure that we have a good space um, for them to put a sign so they can be seen from the highway. We need to make sure that we replace that door with glass so that people can see them when they come in. Right? We need to we need to get all the exit signs fixed in the church because if there, if there's a fire, they need to know how to make it out of the building. Now, apparently, they were not concerned about the, the regular church members. We don't members. care about our members. <laughs> right? Any new guests. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess they just assumed anybody there would know except the new chamber right they had all of these hospitality questions to ask and and their their pastor very patiently sat there i knew he was crawling out of his skin because he's mark and or Matthean johannon and he wanted to just get an answer and move on um and he wanted to run the show um but uh he very patiently let them have that discussion and then he thanked them he's like this is all great and these will be important considerations when we get the contract but can we just now vote to go ahead and have those discussions and they were like oh yeah let's do that um and i'm cracking up the whole time because this is it's playing out exactly how their type would play out right um Lucans are incredibly hospitable. They can sometimes become cliquish because they get so focused around the people that they love that they, it's not that they mean to, to, um, exclude anybody. In fact, they would hate the idea that they did. It's just, they get so excited about seeing, you know, aunt Joe, I got to go check in with aunt Joe that they don't even see visitors. A lot of times, um, they miss them all together. And so helping churches, Lucan churches, especially understand, look, your gift is hospitality. You need to just open up your eyes a little bit more and see, remember to look around and see the new folks and, and go and greet them. And I think at this point where we, we have all these conversations at churches and, and you guys are pastors as you know this, but you know, how do you greet the, the specific visitor? Do you tell them where the nursery is? Do you walk them to the nursery? How do you right. do that? And if right. you're such a hospitable church yet you miss out on that, right. it's important to be able to realize Oh, that. they're heartbroken when yeah. they realize how often they've done it. Mm-hmm. And it's honest to goodness that they don't even realize. Um, it's a sort of love blindness that we have, right? We get so accustomed to loving this group of people, we, we don't even see the folks outside of that sphere. Um, and so, uh, so anyway, that's one of the things that I work with, with Lucan churches and, and Lucan's struggle if they, if their small group, um, dissolves or their Sunday school, it's a real spiritual crisis for them, mm. um, because they're, they're very much centered around it. So now that you understand Lucan's, I want to share this Lucan Markin story that I have. Um, this is in the book, um, and it's one of my favorites it happened very, very early on. So Lucan church 
um, that has a strongly Markin pastor. He is off the charts Markin. He's the highest score I've ever had, although you knocked on the door with your Lucan score. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, but anyway, he's, he is the only person I have that scored in the 20s wow. um, in one type. And um, so here he is, <laughs> Luke and Markin. Now, they are absolutely matched in their ability to welcome people because Markins will welcome anyone coming in the door because they're coming in the door with the gift of the Spirit, and you never refuse the gift of the Spirit. Um, Lucans welcome anybody coming in the door as long as they see them um, <laughs> because they're people, and you love all people. So they're, they're great at making this kind of really open space. Where they're going to run into trouble is the speed at which they want to move mm. um, because a Markin gets a word from the Holy Spirit, and we go. And Lucans hate that because they want to have a chance to talk to everybody about it. Because any potential change is a potential for someone to get upset and leave. And Lucans do not ever want that to happen. So, um, so leading into when I was working with this particular church, um, their Mark and pastor texted me and said, I'm going to rearrange their seating. And I said, what are you doing? You are insane. Don't touch a Lucan seating, right? You, and, he, and I said, you, they're that's too disruptive for them and you haven't asked them and he said oh no 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 they're lined up like johannines they're in straight rows and we'll see johannines in a minute they're in straight rows they need to be bent so they can see each other so i'm going to curve the congregation and i'm going to put the altar in the middle so they can see each other and god because they love god and love each other and i said that is the right decision and they're going to hate it um because you didn't ask them and um they don't know where the friends are going to sit now that you've moved the chairs. He said, I know, but I think if I can get him, I think if I can get him to sit down. I know what I'm getting into. Right? <laughs> and he did. He said, I think if I can get him to sit down, it'll be okay. Now I notice he said if, right? So sure enough, they come in the door, everyone's upset. Um, and uh, they are um, uh, grumbling and fighting and all this, but they, they start worship and they have to sit down. And so they sit down and he can see them because he's up at the front and he sees that they start looking around and smiling. So that afternoon when I came in, um, I said, here's the challenge of having a, a Mark in it, uh, lead a Lucan congregation. Um, um, you may walk in one day and your seats have all been rearranged. And they all started <laughs> laughing. And I said, but here's the thing. If he's rearranged them so that you can see each other better and, and see the altar of God better, he did that because the Spirit directed him that that's who you are. Mm. And they said, you know, that's right. We did love being able to see everybody. And... That took the wind out of that argument because it was not pastor personal preference. It was, this is who this congregation is, and we need to live more fully into that identity. And there was not a word. In fact, they, they came back later and said, we want to actually expand the circle, right? Like make it more, even more of a circle, because it was a semicircle at that point, and they were talking, moving the whole congregation around. And, um, and that's been the powerful thing of being able to say, look, these are just different ways of living discipleship out instead of it being that's just what that person wants, mm -hmm. and I don't want what that person wants. Um, once we understand it's in the frame of discipleship, changes the argument, which is important when we're dealing with Johannines. So let's <laughs> get to Johannines. Um, so John ends with Jesus and Peter at the lakeshore. Um, Jesus says, uh, Peter, this is what I need you to do. Uh, Peter says, what about that guy over there? Jesus says, I'm not talking about that guy right now. This is what I need you to do. Um, 
And if you think about it, John is made up of a ton of conversations, one-on-one conversations like that. Um, Nicodemus and Jesus, uh, the woman at the well and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Even when Jesus is raising Lazarus, he stops and talks to Martha, he stops and talks to Mary, and then even individually goes and calls out Lazarus. Even Pilate and Jesus have a, a deep one-on-one conversation. Um, so Johannines are actually um, mentor-apprentice-driven uh, disciples. They really need that one-on-one instruction, that very close instruction. Johannines are... Um, center everything around the great teachers. Um, So their top great teacher is Jesus. Right below that is scripture. Right below that is pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then below that can be another longtime church leader. They have high expectations for their leaders. Um, Expect them to be moral examples. Um, Scripture is highly valued in a Johannine context uh, and by Johannine people. There are usually our Bible scholars um, whether formal or informally, um, they, they know their Bible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they love to be taught, as I mentioned with um, Matthians love teaching, but to put that into action, Johannines love teaching because of who it forms them into being. Um, Johannines uh, really would love to be one of the 12, would really love to be the beloved disciple, right? <laughs> to really be right at the feet of Jesus um, is their kind of dream uh, of all dreams, right? Um, so they frequently want the attention of the pastor. That's usually the, the way that that is um, manifested. Um, for that reason, the fall of a spiritual leader is devastating to Johannines, um, especially one that they've loved and experienced and admired. They will also challenge pastors faster than anybody else. They'll get in their face. Um, they're pastors that are their mentors or pastor, other pastors? If they are, if we run into this a lot in Methodist churches, mm-hmm. um, the Johannines are the ones that are the ones that come up after your sermon and say, listen, um, <laughs> you really did not interpret that scripture the way it needs to be interpreted. Uh, right? And then you say, would you like to preach next week? And they're like, either yes yeah a lot of times they would or they'd be like oh no i couldn't (laughs) yeah so we were talking uh before the show about uh you know enneagram types Uh and and so as you were talking some of it made me think of enneagram eights but then i was like i don't know they wouldn't want to be that way in some ways but like enneagram eights and i guess sixes came to mind when you were talking about challenging yeah yeah although ones because of that high moral compass right um and the knowledge piece right so ones ones a lot of times i mean it we have not done a deep study on on whether the enneagram types line up with gospel discipleship types because the gospel discipleship is very new and i don't have a big enough pool yet but we are in some conversation about whether that would be the case or not. Um, you can see some that would probably show up um, in that way. Johannines don't necessarily like to challenge people, but they are so defensive of what they believe mm. and and what they understand as what's right and true that they will get in, in people's face um, because of that. Mm. Uh, Everybody except Lucans will get in people's face. Um, Matthians, Matthians will get in your face, right? Matthians will get in your face if you're screwing with church, mm-hmm. right? They are so defensive of how they understand church that they will they will really um, challenge you if you start to mess with the order of worship or um, introduce a new type of music or that sort of thing. They tend to get defensive in those terms. Um, Johannines get defensive of how you are uh, interpreting scripture. Um, and will also get defensive if they if they are following a pastor, they will defend that pastor, um, which also means that if you're the pastor that's following that pastor, mm. good luck to you, oh. right? Um, 
and especially and, if you bring a different interpretation to anything. right yeah. and markings will get in people's face because the spirit directed them to mm-hmm. um if they feel strongly that the spirit has has told them um that this is wrong then markings will get in your face lucans don't want to get in your face because that's a disruption of relationship. So I have a. I, I was thinking about this on the way here, and um, I had an experience in India, like back in 2005, mm-hmm. where I'm Lucan, mm-hmm. and so it was ironic. I mean, we were in a mission trip in India for 30 years or 30 days, 30 years. Man, I would not be back yet. Um, and we went to Agra to go visit um, the Taj Mahal. It was like one of our days or whatever mm-hmm. and we parked the bus a ways away went to go eat at a pizza hut of all places right and on the walk back i saw this this guy sitting and i don't know i don't think he was a panhandler or anything like that but somehow we got into discussing and, and talking about things and so i was just asking him questions about his life yeah. and you know we connected some and he he kept saying like oh come back tomorrow i'd like to bring you to my guru and i i wasn't really talking anything religious and the whole time, I, I was just trying to get to know him and right. form a connection. Right. And a friend of mine came up afterwards who is not Luke, and I can tell by the story, at least. <laughs> uh, and I'd be uh, amazed to hear what you think he might be. But it, it's almost like any connection, in my mind or heart, was lost because the friend basically said, like, we don't need to go talk to your guru. What do you believe? And, like, was really, in my uh, my own uh-huh. perception, aggressive in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's always been something that stuck with me. And in a lot of ways, talking about this uh, highlights that reality that sometimes I felt guilty, like, oh, I should have been more aggressive. But then I'm like, that just, no. I, I can't be that way. Right. <laughs> so Lucan evangelism, this is what I tell every time I'm working with Lucan churches, which I work with a lot of them. Um, I tell them, here's your evangelism. Uh, I said, Lucan's look like the worst evangelists um, because it takes so long but they're actually the best because it's the ones because then it holds because people know when you share your faith that it is coming from a deep place of love and authenticity in your relationship it's not something you're told to just come in the door announcing um, guns are blazing right, right? Bible, Bible's a blazing <laughs> right? right so um, so I tell every Lucan church that this should be your, your um, evangelism plan love one person new, one new person a year a year. A year. Um, and if every person in a Lucan church loves one new person, and I tell them, I say, your intention to love them is not to bring them to church. Um, your intention to love them is to love them because that is actually the people you are called to be. You are the people called to love. And so live into that. And you probably will invite them to church because the more you love someone, the more you will want to make sure they're connected to Jesus. Um, and you'll want them to feel the peace that you feel from that relationship. So you'll bring them to a small group or you bring them to a potluck or you'll bring them to worship or whatever, but you'll bring them. They'll come in, they'll come in the door in your arm, on your arm, um, which is a completely different way to come in the door than just cold, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they will know that you have invited them because you love them, because you care about them and you want them to be part of this part of your world. And so I just tell them, live that kind of evangelism that's the kind of evangelism you're meant to live the rest of us to do it in different ways um um Matthians do it by uh they have to get better now at naming that their actions are driven by jesus they would love to just go do great things and people just assume that it's because of jesus but that's not the way the world works anymore so i have to teach Matthians to name you're here because of jesus but then okay take the great actions that you're wanting to take um johannans will sit down with you one-on-one and teach you about the bible 
right? Um, and then Markins will evangelize. Markins are great at reaching SBNRs. Do you know what an SBNR is? Spiritual but not religious, which is the, the vast field mm. out there now. The nuns and, well, yeah. Right, because honestly, Markins are SBNRs who just happen to be in church. Um, we are not really attached to church. We are attached to the places where the spirit is. And, um, and so, so we're, we're great at, at having those conversations with people who are also suspicious of church because we usually are too. Um, and so, so that's, that's the way, and see how we, we are all needed out there. You see how all of us are going to be able to reach different people. One of the things about Johannines that I've noticed um, so I have my guesses about which denominations are Johannine, but I have not tested any Johannine churches. Maybe because I'm a woman teaching. <laughs> um, but I maybe wonder how not. that would be received with a, the Johannine right? um, received denomination. <laughs> She's sensing it would not. <laughs> <laughs> which is terribly a shame because I'm Johannine, right? Um, so uh, I'm Johannine, by the way, I'll just say um, I'm Johannine because I spent 33 years in education. As a student, I've done more as an instructor, but at 33 years as a student. Now, you have your Ph.D. in it's New Testament, right? Well, it's technically in religious studies, but my emphasis is New Testament, so ah, yeah, basically. Okay. Yes, yes, I have a bachelor's in English, a bachelor's in French, a master's in uh, comparative literature, a master of divinity, <laughs> and a Ph.D. Lord. <laughs> so with that, though, do you have, like, with Ph.D., do you have, cert, uh, like, a professor that you study under, though? Or what was yeah. the... I had a um, decision-making process. Yeah, well, to some extent, um, when I applied for a PhD program, they want you to propose a potential project, and then they like to match you with what professor you'll work with. But you do need to um, know that 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 there's a professor wherever you apply that will match your project, right? Um, so I worked with infertility in the New Testament, and I was paired with Jamie Clark Souls, who's actually an American Baptist, mm. um, and and we had a, a phenomenal time working together. Um, but anyway, so I'm Johannine, shaped Johannine because of either because I was always going to be a deep student or I am a deep student and that turned me into a Johannine, right? It's a chicken and egg question. Um, but Markin overwhelmed it because I had too many dramatic encounters with the Holy Spirit. And so Markin is the one type that I think people turn on a dime into because they have a dramatic encounter with the Spirit, it so alters their worldview that they may suddenly become Markin. And that's the case with the, the super Markin that I talked about that had a 20. He would have said he would have turned out a different type except that he had a, dram- a life-altering encounter with the Holy Spirit. And how wonderful is, is that for all the rest of us to, to be able to have testament that there are people out there like that that, yeah. that we can, for me, a Luke, and can be in relationship with and right. say, yeah, this is a... This is a way I can feel because I have I had this story and I know this story. Right, right, and and that's again you get to you get to own that you are still valid, right? That your way of living and your way of understanding following Jesus makes sense and matters and is anchored in the Gospels, right? None of us are are out here doing something crazy, um, but I think we have had a tendency to characterize each other as if we are crazy, right? And certainly Markins get characterized that way. But anyway, the, the, one of the things that Johannines are really good at is reaching youth because youth are, um, almost all the youth that I have tested are primarily or secondarily Johannine, and I think it has to do with their stage of life. Um, first of all, they're in school, and that's a Johannine structure. You learn from the teacher, 
right? And second of all, um, uh, they are at that stage of their life where they're looking for a model of how to be an adult. And so um, Johannines have a real gift at reaching youth because of that stage of life. They may not stay Johannine, um, but in that moment, they're really looking for that one-on-one personal attention, somebody paying attention to who they are and helping them get to the next step of who they can be, right? So, yeah. It's, it's amazing how, I mean, we can see this in your words and see this on your face of how, how much has gone into this and how marking you are as the Holy Spirit has moved you through this. Yeah. It's really pretty cool and awe-inspiring, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I've got two questions. Yeah. Um, do you <laughs> have to be discipled as you disciple people? So if I'm Lucan in the way I disciple people, right? and I'm looking back and thinking about people that have discipled me, whether or not they were Lucan, or if that mattered as much to right. me. Um, I don't think that you have to be discipled in that way. What I think is powerful about this understanding is I actually think it, it does us all good to stretch ourselves into the other discipleship types a little bit um, to challenge us and keep us from standing still in our faith. That's why I say you need all four types in a congregation, right? Because you, you keep from, from hovering in this one way. Um, but what I do think is important is to, I think, the self-awareness of your, your dominant approach um, then helps you understand I'm pushing myself here, but how, what would be my comfort level and what feels right to me and natural to me is really over here. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay if I go back over here. Um, I do, I, I kind of wonder, I, I will be honest and say that of the churches that I've worked with on building discipleship systems using this, this system or this um, frame, I only have two that have actually put a discipleship system in place, and I've been doing this for about a year now. One of them was a Mathean church. Wow. I, I just, I mean, yep. <laughs> that I understand. <laughs> right? Um, they were given the to-do list, right? This is how you put a discipleship system in place. They did it, put a discipleship system in place, and they're off and running. And they're seeing growth in their church mm. because they can tell people coming in the door, this is how we understand discipleship. And people are like, oh, okay, that resonates with me. And, and then they know what they're joining. Um, I do have one Lucan church that has put a, a discipleship system in place. They put Matheans in charge of it. Um, <laughs> But they did understand they had to have a lot of conversation. So it, they really have just put theirs in place in the last month. Um, and they were one of my early, early churches to start working with. Other Lucan churches are in a lot of conversation about it. Um, and so that's just a reality of these things will unfold differently based on the... And like Mark and... Um, so my tendency is going to be when I go into a church to put a mark and discipleship system in place because I'm only going to be there for a couple years, right? So um, so we can play with this for a little while. And mark and discipleship system is to identify everybody's spiritual gifts and then empower them to do their spiritual gifts, to live those out. And I think any church can can benefit from that, at least in the short term, in, at least in, in while they've got a mark and pastor that knows how to help them really uh, lean into that. And then I can, as a Johannine, nurture their leaders to put something different in place <laughs> later when I leave. Um, I'm going to throw a, a, a question in there. Uh, yeah. So this, we've, we've had a lot of conversations on how this is good for con- congregations, good uh-huh. for leaders and other stuff. How would it be used outside of the church yet within a faith-based 
system. Right. So I, you can work it very similarly. I mean, it's the value of any of these self-awareness tests, right? We use those all the time. We'll take the Enneagram as a team or take the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or whatever as a team, and it helps us understand how we work together better, right? Same deal. Use it with a team and say, oh, okay, this is the frame of discipleship that you're coming from. This is how you understand we live out our discipleship. I understand it differently over here. Let's look at where we're going to run into conflict and be aware of that and then know how to manage that. And let's also look at where we're going to be strong together, where we're going to really um, fire on all cylinders. Um, so it works. It, you can work it as a small a group as you want to as large a group as you want and really in any context. Um, it tends to work better in a faith-based context just because you have the, the frame of Scripture having meaning and value. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, And in fact, I will say that the assessment assumes some understanding of Scripture. Um, so we have, we have, I have had somebody talk about how, how would we give this to an unchurched um, population. And, and so that's another thing that's being kicked around for the future. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that for the most part, this is going to really resonate with faith-based. I have one last question. Yeah. Out of either working with individuals and or congregations, what has surprised you? Mm. Oh, so much. Ah. So much has surprised me. Um, the whole idea surprised me in the beginning, right? To just have this handed over to me was a shock. Um, and also, I might say that I got this revelation um, two days before the general conference in St. Louis. And I thought, well, this is terrible timing, God. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, no, this is perfect timing, God, because it refocuses us on discipleship, which I think is what we ought to be doing. Um, And a lot of these problems would fix if we refocused on discipleship. That is also, I've had a lot of hope for the future of particularly the Methodist denomination. People keep asking me what's going to happen with this new general conference. And I said, "Uh, any number of things. I will tell you overall what I think is going to happen. Um, We're going to lose our Markins and Johannans um, because they're the ones that started this fight. Lucans and Matheans would have never started the fight. Lucans don't want to fight. Matheans don't like their idea of church disturbed. And so the and, and if you look at the statistics, um, I, I have roughly, you know, 75 percent of folks that I've tested in Methodist churches test Lucan or Matthean. Um, there's a fair, there's a smaller number of Markins and Johannines. Um, it's right along, <laughs> right along the statistics of what's going on. It's right along the statistics. And so, so I tell them, any, any Johannine churches that we have are going to go. Any Markin churches that we have are going to go. Um, the Lucans and Matheans are staying because Lucans don't go, and Matheans don't like their idea of church disturbed. And so take a deep breath, Methodists. That's what I keep telling them. <laughs> take a deep breath. It's going to be hard, and we're going to lose some people. And for a Lucan denomination, primarily Lucan denomination, that in itself is traumatic. Mm-hmm. But I tell them they're going to a place where they're going to spiritually thrive. So let them go. It's a loving thing to do. Um, so that's been surprising and, and very um, settling for me to recognize that. And I say that as a Mark and Joannine who doesn't actually plan on leaving, but um, plans to stay. You have in, to stay because those Lucans and Matheans are getting, you, you need getting me. to be following the spirit to get I stuff know, done. I you, know, you need me. Um, so, uh, so that's been surprising. But the other really amazing thing, my favorite part of the trainings, my favorite part, 
and I'm sure this, this is just because of my own life, is to watch pastors and congregations understand each other. Um, I have, with very few exceptions, had a pastor that lined up with their congregation's type. Um, and I think God does that on purpose. I think that, God, again, it keeps us from standing still in our discipleship. It keeps us rubbing up against each other. But to be able to name that, like I said, not as personal preference, but as understandings of discipleship, and that we both need those. We need all of those types of understanding. Um, really helps everybody go, oh, <laughs> oh, we can do this. This is okay. Um, that congregation that I have that's a Mark and Matthew and Ty, for me to walk in not knowing them and tell them what they're fighting about and just tell them, you know, it's just because you understand discipleship differently. Let's talk about how we marry those two types of discipleship. And then what we do with your Lucans and Johannines who are bewildered by what all is happening here, right? Um, that is really powerful and has been a game changer. Even if they haven't resulted in discipleship systems, just to lift that pressure has been huge and is so exciting. And to see everybody working together better um, and seeing, seeing value in each other's perspectives. Man, that's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Tell me the name of your two books. Gospel Discipleship Participant Guide and Gospel Discipleship Congregation Guide. And they'll be coming out on April 21st in just a couple of weeks. Where can you get them? Um, you can get them at Cokesbury. You can get them at uh, Amazon. You can get them at uh, Wait, is that Barnes on Easter Day? No, Easter is April 12th. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have my calendar with it's me. It's okay. It's my Christ daughter's Christian birthday. Christianbook.com. <laughs> you can get them basically the major re- retailers. Books, book reseller. Well, well, Reverend Dr. Michelle Morris, thank you so much for joining us yeah. today. I definitely want, want to have you back on with James so we can talk poetry. Uh-huh. Uh, but then also, I, I don't know if this would be the context or not, or have not asked you, David, but uh, I, I too, you know, in answering this thing, there were certain questions I know intentionally I didn't answer as a Lucan because I've had experiences with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that would be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely see a repeat coming up. Awesome. I would love it. <laughs> Check out Vino's Brew Pub in downtown Little Rock when you get a chance. What'd you say? The Dunkel Vice? And yes. I say the Razorback Red. Dunkel Vice with the V. With the V are very good. <laughs> and thanks for showing. Yeah. yeah. See y'all soon.